Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. When you become a member, enter Suburban Folk in the podcast that you heard about them. A new year brings a new beginning. For all my listeners that own a business, I want to tell you about FedEx Office. If you are just starting or have been running your company for generations, FedEx Office gives you the best way to print marketing materials, posters, signage, graphics, and so much more. With FedEx, creating, editing, saving, and ordering are fast and easy. We are teaming up with FedEx and Podgo to bring our listeners 30% off your next order of $100 or more at podgo.co slash FedEx. That's podgo.co slash FedEx for 30% off your next order. FedEx, the world on time. We're also brought to you by Purple Carrot. Purple Carrot is the plant-based subscription meal kit that makes it easy to cook irresistible meals to fuel your body. Each week, choose from an expansive and delicious menu of dinners, lunches, breakfasts, and snacks. Every box is an opportunity to learn and experience something new with easy recipes and fresh pre-proportioned ingredients. No shopping, no food waste. Just globally inspired, restaurant-quality, plant-based meals. Get $30 off your first box by going to purplecarrot.com and entering the code PODGO30 at checkout today. That's PODGO30 and $30 off your first Purple Carrot box. Purple Carrot, the easiest way to eat more plants. And finally, I want to tell you about Yubico. Yubico sets new world standards for simple, secure login, preventing unauthorized access to computers, servers, and internet accounts. The YubiKey from Yubico is a physical security key using two-factor authentication to protect your accounts. As more of us continue to work from home, it is more important than ever to protect your secure information. So what can you do to protect your accounts? Yubico is offering our listeners $10 off your next purchase of $100 or more using the code POD at yubico.com. That's code POD at yubico.com. Say hello to YubiKey and goodbye to account takeovers. Health, parenting, finance, travel, and home improvement. This is the Suburban Folk Podcast. Welcome to the Suburban Folk Podcast. I'm Greg Rodersheimer, your host. Today's topic combines parenting and finance in the form of college. From the parenting standpoint, you have to decide if you're going to insist that your child go to college. What other options do they have? How much of a driving force are you going to be in them figuring out what their future is going to look like? And depending on those answers, you have to answer how you're going to meet the challenge financially. What savings avenues do you have? Are you going to have your child pay for a certain amount of their schooling? Are there going to be other options in the future that we don't know about? For example, free college is something we hear in politics nowadays. There's also the consideration for student debt and what kind of a burden that will be. My guest is Paul Fagan. He is the host of the Financial Dads podcast. I had a chance to jump onto their show and talk about financial independence and retiring early. And just like today's show, they combine the considerations for parenting as well as finances with a whole lot of tips. And I encourage everybody to go over and take a listen to the show. Paul, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, Greg, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be on the show and I love the topic. We've talked about this topic uh, more than once on the financial dad. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready to jump into it. Before we get into today's topic, do you want to give a little bit of background about the financial dad podcast, as well as your own financial journey? 
I've always had a fascination with finances, even from a little, from being a little kid. I had a paper out growing up. I had a summer job. I'd work throughout school, saved my money. I would buy, you know, I would look at CDs and do all these different things. And it kind of just stayed with me. Um, and then throughout college and after college, um, you know, saving for homes, saving for weddings and, and, and having kids and all these different things, um, I always kept a, a sharp eye on the finances for the family. I think overall, I've always had this passion for, for financials, right? Finances. So uh, keeping track of the money, uh, looking at the income versus the outgo, um, all these different pieces and all the different pieces wrapped around it, including life insurance, food shopping. We, we've had you know 80 plus episodes, all kinds of different topics, and we've just had a lot of fun doing it. Um, as far as my family's concerned, I'm probably, me and my wife, we, we play off of each other for that because my wife is more hands off when it comes to the money. Um, and I'm more hands on, which it works out well, right? Because I take care of the bills and I'll write everything out. Not that she can't do any of that, but the way the household works, it works better if I just do it and she's fine with me doing it. And it's not that she can't do it. It's my neuroses of having to do it. <laughs> if that makes sense. It makes sense. And my wife and I have a very similar setup. Even though I do a lot of the detail work, I definitely try to emphasize that we both need to be aware of where we're at at any given point so that if something goes sideways, we can't point the finger at each other saying, what the heck were you doing or anything like that. So going over to our topic at hand, let's start with the major financial consideration that we hear in the news all the time right now in student debt. So for people like you and I that are very focused on finances, our radar goes up when we hear all of these numbers. We hear politicians talk about it and all these different solutions that they have that we'll go into. What's your take on the driving forces behind the student debt crisis? What I see with the student debt is it's it's a very polarizing issue. Um, I came from the school of my wife and I paid off our debt as fast as possible. So you know her her law school debt um, we took care of as fast as we could. I took care of my undergrad debt. I probably could have taken care of it faster, but I did. We we got rid of all of our debt within uh, all of our college related debt within one year of getting our mortgage. And, and what I say polarizing, kind of jumping back to that, is I understand both sides of the coin where people are saying, well, I just paid off my debt. You mean the guy next door to me who still owes $50,000? We're going to take care of his, but I just paid it so I don't get anything. So I totally get this issue. Um, I think it is ridiculous in terms of the rising costs of college. I, I don't know quite know why it's risen so much so fast. Um, it really is shocking to me. Um, how fast it is has risen, and you know when it comes to kind of justifying college anymore, I have a tougher time with that. Like with my own kids, I'm very open and honest with them to say, you know, let's see what you want to do, and and if you if you tell me you want to be a carpenter or you want to be an electrician or you want to be a plumber or you want to do X Y and Z that doesn't require college, I'm okay with it. Um, and because you know, my, my brother is, a, is an auto mechanic, does extremely well. My nephew just got out of high school. Um, he's, a, he, he's in the trades. He's a welder. He's on ships and welding on ships and stuff. He, for, you know, I, I don't want to tell you how much the pickup truck that he bought cost. Right? Like it's just he's really doing well. And I'm, I'm very proud of my brother and my, and my nephew. Um, I think my kids will go to college. My son has an affinity towards computers, so I would like to see him get a degree 
um, in, in, in computer programming. Um, my daughter, I think it's too young to kind of figure that out of what that'll look like, but I'm scared to death of the cost of college, right? Because as much as I've been trying to save, it's like bailing water out of a sinking ship with a big hole in it. It's like, I don't know if you could, ba- if you could bail the bucket out fast enough to, to do it because every dime I put away, it seems to get outshone by the incredible amount of money that each uh, tuition goes up. So I think that for me, it's, it, it, it's sad, although I don't know if you've done any research of why it's risen so much. I'm, I'm guessing it's just because, you know, it's the cost of doing business for these colleges. You know, they, they have uh, staff they have to maintain and they have to, you know, maintain credibility and, and they have to maintain all these different things. And the price just keeps escalating. But I can't tell you why it's so high. I don't know if you've done any research on that. Yeah, I mean, I've read a lot of articles. I have my own theories compared to what I've read. I think from my perspective, it boils down to a couple of things. One, I think that a four-year college has replaced the home as the symbol for the American dream. And nearly everybody is trying to send their children to college, whether or not it's the right decision for them or not, depending on what career they're trying to pursue. And then, of course, the other is government money in the form of student loans. It seems like there is a never-ending stream of available loans. And of course, nobody thinks about it until after school is over and they have to start paying these back. So combine that supply of people assuming they have to go to college because it is the new American dream with the money being available. The colleges probably don't have a whole lot of incentive to keep their costs down. So I would imagine year over year, their administrative costs continue to go up. I will say the amenities seem to continue to go up. I went to a small private school that had to sort of keep things tighter, but when I'll see reports about these student unions or rec centers in some schools that are just amazing, they're better than any private gym that you could possibly pay for out here in suburbia. Where does that money come from? And is that really necessary to get the students ready for their eventual career? I think you hit a lot of things on the head. And I think I've seen some of those where some of these colleges have gourmet meals and they have Olympic sized pools and they have resort like living. And you're right. That's not what college is supposed to be about. I think, you know, some, some of the things that we were kind of, you know, thinking about were, you know, um, we talked about as college for everyone. I, I, don't think so. And I think that stigma has to disappear of, of having to go to college, right? I, I, I think it's, I think it gives you options. Someone told me a long time ago, because uh, I almost went into the union trades to be a, a telecommunications, like working for Verizon. I was going to go do that. And a good friend of mine who I was working with at the time, he said, you know, if you want that, because you know, I worked with a bunch of union guys, they're like, we'll get you that. Paul, if you really want that, we could make that happen. But do you want that? Like, what's nice about you going to college, it gives you options to do as much different things as you want. But I don't know if that's always the case now. I, I think it does give you some level of options, but I have a lot of good friends that did not go to college and they're doing extremely well. Um, so I'm not sure if it's a correlation anymore. Um, in terms of graduating on time, I think that's another topic uh, that's interesting. Um, I graduated in four years. I had another friend of mine graduate in five years. What was cool about my friend graduating in five years, I doubled my friend group. So I, I, so the kids he graduated 
you know, so I had like different, I had like different people that I got to hang with. And, and so it doubled my friend base because my, he's such a good friend of mine. So he did like the five-year plan as they call it. But to me, I don't even know if anyone could afford it anymore. Like how could you afford to graduate on time? Uh, and not graduate on time, I should say. Um, I, it's barely enough to get through the four years. But to your point, if the money's easy and you rack up all this debt and then at the end you have to pay it, like there's so many people strapped with, you know, 200,000, 300,000. Think, let those numbers hang in the air for a moment, right? 250,000 in student debt, right? And you get out of, get a job out of college. And, you know, are you making close to trying to pay that off anytime soon? I, it's just, it's daunting to me. I just don't know how the kids are doing it now, getting out of school. And, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm trying to do as a parent is save enough money to send my kids to school and at least give them the gift of undergrad if I can. If I can't, we'll, we'll figure it out. But that's kind of where I've been. I've been trying to save as much as possible um, since the kids were small. And I know we could touch upon that topic a little more. Um, the, the other one around um, the state of college, there's the private institutions, the public institutions, um, and then there's the Ivies. And, and I, had a, I have a good friend of mine um, who, who, who does very well. I won't name what he does, but he does extremely well. And, and when I talked to him about this at a, at a dinner with a bunch of friends, he, he said, you know, if one of these little morons gets into Harvard, I'll pay for it. He goes, but if they're not getting into Harvard or Princeton or Yale, look, I'm not paying for a private university. I'm going to pay for a state school just like a dad went to. And that's it. I thought that was an interesting take on it because um, it, it just goes to show to your point earlier, these private colleges that are popping up all over the place, the privates are really where I think the bane of the expenses. Like if you go to a state school, you're okay. If you get into an Ivy, chances are you're going to get some level of decent endowment to go or some level of scholarship. It's that middle ground of that 80% of the bell curve, maybe that are people that are going to these private institutions that are just paying the full boat rate. And then they get out after four years and they're just drunk on debt. Absolutely. And I'm glad you made the distinction between the different types of four-year schools, the Ivy Leagues, which are private schools, like you mentioned, the big state schools, and then the smaller private schools that we're honing in on. Not to be confused with for-profit schools, they tend to get a real bad rap for nearly false advertising, as I understand it. And they get sued, it seems like, every so often because students have a huge amount of debt there and have nothing to show for it afterwards. So those are not the kind of schools we're talking about when we say private schools. We're saying not-for-profit schools, just not the big state schools. Most areas, I feel like, probably have one or two. Usually their tuition is significantly higher than what a state school would be for in-state tuition. I actually went to a small private school. And luckily, it seems like to me, or at least in my experience, they offer more scholarships than what are available at these state schools that, again, in my experience of going, it was relatively equal as long as you're being competitive with the grants and other things that they have available. But yeah, if you're paying the full price, that's going to be a lot of money. I actually feel like those schools are going to be the ones that tell us what's going to happen with college as a whole. As a matter of fact, there's a school in Virginia, I forget the name, that basically was on the brink of bankruptcy. I know a lot of their alumni banded together to 
give enough money that I think they stayed afloat. And my school actually had to do a major restructuring. In fact, they got rid of my communications program. So (laughs) the degree I graduated with from my college doesn't even really exist anymore. And they've really consolidated down to almost a four-year school that operates like an associate's degree for the degrees that they have left. It's very, very focused on a couple specific careers. And they had to do that really to stay afloat. I'm not knocking those schools. What I'm, I guess what I'm saying is what my friend was trying to convey was if you go to an Ivy, there's a certain level of networking and, and prestige that will automatically, I think, and I'm probably overselling it, but probably not. you'll get a really good job coming out of one of those schools out of undergrad, right? Typically. Um, I I loved Fordham, met my wife there. All my good friends are there. Uh, Jody and now my friend, and my friend Paul, who's working with me on the podcast now, we all met there. And I I wouldn't change it for anything. And when I went, the tuition I thought was manageable. Now I look back, it's, it was dirt cheap compared to what it is now. I mean, I went back for our 25th reunion a couple of years ago and looked at the the pricing. And I was like, oh my God, like that's what it costs to come here with room and board. I was like, I couldn't believe it. With this whole COVID thing, I talked to parents where their kids are in undergrad at big universities. They're living at home now because they're not, they can't go back because of COVID and they're paying full boat rate to go to college and, and, and there's no break. And I, 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 I understand both sides, but it really is daunting. It's just another pressure point on the college system as to, are we really there where, you know, you were paying, you know, uh, you're saying throwing out a number, let's just say for a private, you know, private school, $50,000 for, you know, for the year. And that college experience is in your bedroom and you're doing remote classes, right? Well, how how do they how do they how is that justified? But it really is interesting to me um, how this is going to unwind over the next five years, ten years. What does college look like? Is it going to be the same type of bubble we've seen in real estate, where it's just going to people are just going to say enough? I, we can't do this. We can't pay this kind of money because I remember when the real estate. I'm, I, the reason why I use that example is I had this conversation with a good friend of mine. And I said, well, I bought my house for X or whatever. And he said, yeah, it'll just keep going up. I'm like, my house isn't going to be worth like, you know, a million dollars, right? It's got to stop, right? It has to stop. And everyone insisted, nope, it's going to, it's not going to stop, right? And it did, right? It did. It corrected. Will college have the same type of thing? Time will tell, uh, but it, it may need it, right? But now with everything in play now over the next, you know, year when it comes to student loan forgiveness and some of these other things, I, I don't know what the future is going to bring. So we'll, we'll have to have another episode like this a year from now and see where we're at. But it will be interesting. It'll be a fun ride. I'm just happy and you're probably happy at this point. Um, you know, my, my college debts are paid. My kids are not in college yet. So I'm in this wait and see. I'm kind of waiting in the bunker, looking over the top and saying, okay, what's going to happen next? Let this happen. Let this happen. But my son's close. Like next year, he'll be looking. And I, in fact, I, I, um, he's been trying to think about colleges and stuff. And I know that he likes to code. He's a coder, probably going a little bit off track, but I had a conversation the other day and I found this mailer that we got from a state school in, in New York from SUNY, SUNY Polytechnic. And I brought it up to him in his room and I said, look at this website, check this out. Because 
and I'm not pushing it, but I think this could be a good option, right? I, I think it's a good blend of, and to your point, picking the right major, picking what you want to do. For me, um, if my son has a passion, for example, coding, um, for people who don't know uh, too much about coding, you're writing computer software, stuff like that. Um, you don't need to go to MIT to code, to get a great job coding, right? Some will argue you don't have to go to college to learn how to code, right? I have friends that have not gone to college and were self-taught coding, um, whether it's Python or Java or one of these other languages. But I, I think that um, there's a sweet spot in the middle. And I think for my son, when I have that conversation with him, um, I, I'm open to whatever he wants. And I've told him, you know, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at the schools and figure out what you want to do. But I think this was a good option, I think, because it's a state school it's much more reasonable than the private institutions uh, that other institutions that would be competitive to it. And it, it could be a quote unquote goodbye, but beyond the goodbye, I, you know, I think that when he, when he gets out of school, whether he was coming from private university or a public university, the language is the same. You know, if he's going to go work for Google or Amazon or, or, or Netflix or one of the big companies and they're going to have him coding you know, as long as he knows how to write the code, will it matter where that coding knowledge came from? I'm not quite sure. You know, I, I really, I'm really not. So it's another big debate item. In regards to the COVID situation that you're talking about, I remember seeing some of the stories where students, rightfully so, were requesting refunds and discounts on whatever school was going to look like in the fall. I'm sure there were different situations and responses, but some of the schools then pulled back and said that they were going to be in person. In my opinion, they never had any intention of being in person. They just had to say it so that they didn't have to go down the road of discounted tuition. And then, of course, they flipped it back to virtual at that point. So COVID, of course, has accelerated a lot of different situations. And I think college is no different that it's going to expose a lot of the issues that they have going on. And it will be very interesting to see what happens going forward. I'm sort of in the middle on this because I, I kind of understand like the music just stopped. Like we, we stopped doing something mid March and it was done and people were going home and people just didn't know how to handle it. Um, and, and I think for colleges, I think it's the wake up call. I think for parents, it's a wake up call. And I think to your point, uh, people are trying to claw back some of that money that they've given. The, the, the colleges are trying to keep it in their claws. <laughs> so it's, it, but it's a tough situation. I sort of get both sides because if you send all the kids home, but you still have all this staff that are maintaining the grounds and the cafeteria and all these different things. Well, how did, how do they, how do you, how do they survive? Like, so there's this, all this domino effect that happens. So probably for a whole other podcast, but what is the outcome of college? The outcome of college is to make that individual successful to work in a job that they love. Now, going back to my nephew, he was in high school. He took welding. He took more welding. He took more advanced welding. He got out of, he graduated and he got a job right away as a welder. And he's perfecting his trade and he's doing well and, and he's, you know, he's constantly working and it's, and, the, and he's, and he's moving up the ladder and he's doing his thing and he found something he loved. And I always tell my kids, you got to find stuff that you love. If you don't love it, it's going to be a long life, right? So if, if you're going to go to college and you're told to be an accountant and you're not good in accounting and you try to be an accountant, 
is going to be a very long life, which you're talking to him. I was an accounting major. Was an account. I, I am not an accountant. I'm good with numbers, but not as an accountant. So I found my niche in, in IT and it just happened to work out that way. But I tell people, you have to find what you love and the money will come after. I think that's the key. Going back to your reference about a welder and anybody that's in the trades, I know that in some conversations I've had, we had our HVAC system just redone and the owner said that they are super, super busy. They get to raise their rates by 10% this coming year. And anybody in the trades, I feel like has a job that's pretty recession proof. Another area that comes to mind that doesn't require a four-year degree are some of the frontline healthcare workers like technicians. I'm thinking radiology techs or the LPNs in the nurse world that pretty much have good job security. And I don't see those job markets really getting hit anytime soon, as opposed to some of the four-year degrees that sometimes do have a lot of ebb and flow as far as the job market is concerned altogether. And again, to your point of accountant to IT, I'm a communications major who really hasn't used my degree. I went right into business, actually got my MBA because I figured I would be staying in business. Along those same lines, as far as the substance that you learn in school, I have learned a lot more on my own as far as, well, audio recording or video recording after school because I think this is probably true in coding and maybe other areas as well. As soon as you get out of school, your knowledge is quickly becoming stale. So you need to be able to learn on the job. You need to be on your feet so that you can be as attractive as possible to employers. So I think that's even another question of how on top of your given market are you when you come out of school? And that's something else as well is I sometimes wonder if really the degree that you have doesn't really matter. It's just a stamp of approval to say I'm self-motivated enough to get myself through college. And from there, employers are going to train you for whatever specific thing that they want you to be doing. Going back to the example for your son and coding, I feel like that's one of the most tried and true examples where a four-year degree makes sense. If he was interested in something else that maybe didn't quite align itself to a four-year degree that would have job security right out of the gate, like coding, what do you think your conversations would start to sound like? I never really thought about this. I think I would sit him down and try to figure out what's he studying in school? What does he like the most? Is there any extracurriculars he's really involved with? So let's say he liked photography or he liked this or that, or he liked golf and maybe he wants to go to golf course management. Maybe there's something that I would try to help guide that way. I've been lucky in that respect where I the guide is already there. He kind of knows what he wants, but that could change on me. He's only 16, so that could change on me. But I, I think that you try to do the best you can as a parent, and in the end, it's going to be their decision, and you try to support them the best way you can. Uh, but I wished college was a little bit cheaper. You could try and buy it. I guess everything's a two-way door decision as well, right? So if – I had a good friend of mine who went to college from New York – he went down to Boca Raton, Florida. He was there and his third semester, halfway through his third semester, he came home for a break and he said, dad, he goes, I gotta be real honest with you. I'm wasting your money. I'm wasting it. I I'll just come home and work in the business, right? Like I, 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 it just doesn't make any sense anymore. I am not getting anything done down there. 
<laughs> he was, he was upfront about it. He was like, you know, I'm done. And, and so, you know, uh, you know, so I, I think it's interesting, but I think there's going to be some stumbles, right? I, I think that there could be stumbles. Like I was an accounting major cause I was drilled into my head. You got to become an accountant. And then I got a part-time job in a mailroom at a, at a small company. Uh, when I say small, I had a couple of hundred people. It grew to like 300 before I left it. And I had it throughout college. And I had a break where they needed somebody uh, to help out in the computer room. They called it the computer room at the time. And I went in and, and I, boom, I was like, I was into computers. It was, it was interesting to me. And, and I can't code, but I understand the other elements outside of coding. And so for me, backing up the system or working with the Macintoshes or, or networking, that, that kind of stuff made sense to me. So I just did that throughout college. So when I graduated college, I sat for the CPA exam, didn't do very well. And, and I was trying to find a job out, you know, that would be in accounting and I couldn't find anything. And then finally I said to myself, you know, I'm going to put together a computer resume and, you know, based on my technology experience. And I had like three offers in two weeks. It was crazy time. And, and, and I didn't realize that that, that was going to be my, my career. And I pivoted a bit here and there. So right now I, you know, I, it's, it's public knowledge. I'm a, I'm, you know, program manager, project manager type, you know, so I'm, I'm not hands-on keyboard coding, but I'm working with all the experts that are doing that and, and trying to make sure that, you know, we're, bringing the, the project from point A to point B, as I like to say. I like to keep it in very simple terms, which is effective for me. Um, but, you know, if I look back, did my accounting degree help with that? Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think the f- some of the fundamentals were there, definitely. Tax and, 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 the, and the background of college, the rigor of college, the ceremony of college, the networking of college, the um, the opportunities that I had and the friends that I had and, you know, and still have. I don't know if there was a direct tie to my actual career, but I could tell you without the four-year degree, I would have been stuck on a lot of my jobs because that was the bar. So I think for me, kind of roundabout way, going back to the question you asked about my son or my daughter, I'm just going to have to sit down and have that talk with them, right? And and kind of just verify and and try to help them. That That's my only advice I could give because – and try to figure out where their interests lie. Right. And, and probe them. Right. And work with your school's guidance, guidance counselors and work with their teachers and find out where their passion lies. Um, like I said, you know, I, I, my mine my situation is pretty apparent for one, not so apparent for the other. My other one's too young. She's 10. Um, I don't know what she'll wind up doing, but it will be interesting. Another option that we haven't discussed yet is community college, which. For kids that don't know what they want to do for a major or for a career, that's definitely something to look at because I know one of the benefits to the four-year school has been historically a well-rounded education that you're taking subjects in a lot of different areas for a well-rounded education. But as we're talking, it seems like at some point that has shifted to really Make sure you're focusing on a career that will be fulfilling and hopefully sustain you financially. So if you don't know your major, that means you may not know what school you want to go to that has the degree that you want to get. You could start at community college for the first couple of years, knock out those core classes, and then figure out where you can transfer to for the degree 
that you want to ultimately get. It buys you some time, I guess is another way to say it. I know for myself, there was a bit of a stigma with community college coming out of school that you didn't want to be one of the kids that maybe even stayed at home with your parents and attended community college before making the transfer. But again, with tuition being what it is now, it seems like a really, really good option. And again, buys you time to figure out what you want to be doing. Another example, actually, my brother's valedictorian, I'm pretty sure graduated from her community college and then transferred to the school that he went to for the second two years and ended up being the valedictorian. And also, if people are not aware, there's nothing on your diploma that says you only attended the four-year degree school for two years as opposed to all four years. It's the exact same degree, probably at a much lesser cost. And there's a lot of schools that it does transfer to. You, of course, have to make sure that you are able to transfer the credits that you earn at the community college, but it is definitely something else to look for. And again, it may buy you some time if you have a child that is not exactly sure where they want to go. It's a great call out and a great thing to point out. I have a good buddy of mine way back when he did that exact thing. He did two years of, of community college. Then he went to Fordham, got his degree from Fordham to your point, no asterisk, did very well, saved a lot of money. Um, you have to do it very methodically and thoughtfully and strategically, right? So if you're going to take that route, um, it's very simple. You have to make sure that the school you're going to for those first two years, all those credits are going to transfer properly to the target school, which he did. So there were certain classes that he was not able, that he would not have been able to transfer, but he mapped it out. He was able to go and sit with Fordham at, at one point and said, hey, you know, I'm, I can't afford to do four years of this. I'm going to do two. I'm going to go to community college. What can I take and what don't I take in order to make this happen? Because I don't want to waste time, right? And he was able to sort that out. And some schools will not let you transfer everything in, but they'll let you transfer the bulk. Some won't let you transfer any at all. So I think if people are going to go that route, which is an excellent call out, Greg, is to, is to map it out and investigate. Do your research. Because if you think that that's your target, just make sure that you don't spend two years at community college and then your dream school doesn't accept any of those credits. Um, and and that's, that's what you have to consider. It's just something, another thing you have to be well thought because too many people do exactly what you said, Greg, is they say, I'll do two years of community college. Then I'll go to the school I want. And they never even call the school they want to go to until they finish the two years. And then they call them and say, none of those credits will work. That is a good reminder for folks. I will say that I was amazed when I first did any research on community college, which was actually after I graduated, I was helping a friend of mine decide if he could go back to school in Pennsylvania, where I was at Penn State, Pitt, Temple, any of the big state schools seem to accept most of the community college credits. But to your point, you don't want to spend money on those couple of years only to find that you're starting over again once you figure out what you want to do as far as a four-year degree is concerned. So we spent most of our conversation on the parenting side and navigating those different options. Let's get to the financial side of it. The most obvious 
mechanism for saving for college, I think, is the 529. And for those that are unaware, the 529 plan is a state-sponsored plan. It's going to be after-tax dollars, but depending on the program that you enroll in, there can be, at least in Virginia anyway, there is a tax write-off at the end of the year. So I believe for us, it's $4,000 that you're able to write off. And then, of course, on the back end, if you're spending those dollars on approved educational items, they are tax-free. So you're not paying taxes on those gains that you have received in the account as it continues to grow. There are a couple of options within the 529, at least speaking for Virginia. There is the state-sponsored plan that you can open the account through. There are only a couple options. Again, I'm speaking specifically for Virginia. Or you can open up a 529 through pretty much any brokerage, it seems like, your Vanguards, your Fidelities, your Schwabs. The advantage there is there are a lot more options to invest in. So you have more control over what happens to the money once it gets into those accounts. Going back to the tax write-off, again, in Virginia, you cannot write off those dollars if you open up the 529 through the brokerage. So speaking for myself, we did opt to go through the state-sponsored program. And of course, just like any investment, time is your friend. So once you decide that you are going to help pay for some or all of your child's college, start as soon as you possibly can, because regardless of which of these avenues you pick, time is your friend, the magic of compound interest, start as soon as you possibly can. Paul, what other avenues have you used or strategies are you employing for your college savings? So for us, we live in New York um, with the New York state program for 529, you're allowed to write off. So whatever you contribute in the course of a year comes off as an adjustment on your state income tax, New York state income tax. So you get a nice break for that. So that was a nice plus from the pushing towards the 529 plan. When it came to my kids, um, the year they were born, each one of them was born, I opened the account and, and dove in and put money in the account. And I try to put the same amount each year Realizing that it won't be enough, but it, but it, but to your point, you have to start and keep the momentum going. So what we try to do in our household budget is we accrue for a set amount, um, and, and that's that's an interesting one. How much how much can you save, right? And I think it comes down to you have to be realistic and what you can afford to save for college, and everyone's different. So you know, college is way down the road, um, but at the end of the day. You should focus on your own retirement. You should focus on your family expenses. You should not go without eating or or not going without contributing to retirement and socking all the money in a 529 plan. It's just not feasible and 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 not realistic. So it's just like when you're on a on a boat, you know, put your life preserver on your you know uh, yourself before you put it on your child or when the thing comes down from the airplane. You want to make sure that when you're planning your future, so that so when we look at it. We put enough away that was comfortable for us, and we try to be consistent every year. Now, admittedly, there's a couple of years where we couldn't put as much in as we would have liked, but I've had these conversations with another friend of mine. We refer to him as our our, uh, financial superhero. He'll never be on our podcast, uh, but we always joke with him. He's brilliant when it comes to money, Um, and he told me point blank over coffee one time. He goes, Paul, you're never going to save enough, so stop. Like You you put as much away as you can – 
and then deal with it when it comes. Because, you know, if you're going to put away every nickel that you need, you're not going to be able to eat. Like That's how daunting it could be, right? And that's how scary it is. So uh, depending on where your kid's going to school. So I know that Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, these folks have had different rules of thumbs when it comes to this type of savings. But for me, I think it's down to, you know, put as much away as you can. That's comfortable. Be consistent year over year. So since my kids were born, every year we put the money away. In fact, I just did some payments this this week. I just did the payments before the year closes out to put this year's payments in. And quite frankly, it's not as much as it was four years ago, right? But we're we're there. We're still putting away. And and the slow and steady wins the race. We've seen some growth in the 529 plans over time. Uh, but we're in a weird spot right now. If you asked me that five years ago, the, the funds would be down, right? So it's really interesting that, that when you're trying to gamify this. The other thing people worry about with putting money into a 529 is, well, what if my kid doesn't use it for college? There's all You could always get it out, right? And if you get a good tax professional, you could back it out. And, and so, you know, I had a friend of mine who's both his daughters, like he saved like crazy for them. And both his daughters got full rides to Ivy League schools. And, and he didn't like, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not in his business, but I know that he feverishly saved. And a majority of that money is not being used. So he must have some strategy to pull that cash out. Um, I don't know what he did with it, uh, but, but he was very, you know, very brilliant kids. Um, and I have a few stories like that. And then, you know, but most stories are that you're, you're not going to save enough, right? You like to think you're saving enough. Or if you have two kids, some money passes to the other kid in the 529s. There, I know that there's other mechanisms for saving, but I think 529 gives you the most bang for your buck in terms of return on investment. The other thing that people will look at when it comes to the 529 plans is, do you have the ability to pick the funds that you're invested in? So, you know, the, at a granular level versus kind of these target funds, People will agree and disagree on this, but for me, I, I've seen a decent return on the money that I've invested so far, but I'm in a weird spot where the money's doing okay now. The, the markets are good. Hopefully, they'll hold for my son. I do have to think about backing my son's 529 plan down for more, from less stock and more fixed income products within it, that mix, that more conservative mix. They usually call it aggressive, conservative, and there's something in the middle. Right. And and that's what you're trying to, you know, trying to figure it out. So, you know, a typical rule of thumb thumb from you know, from one years old to thirteen years old, fourteen years old, fifteen years old, you can keep pushing that envelope, seventy five percent equity, twenty five percent fixed income. Or some people will say a hundred percent equity, which I didn't do. I was probably more fifty fifty between the splits and I probably sacrificed some money there, but maybe it worked out in the end. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, but for us, it's been the 529 plan, and for us, it's been that saving mechanism of a constant saving. Saving's more important than the return on the investment. People will tell you that when it comes to retirement, your own personal wealth, and, and college savings. The, the art of, of starting and the art of consistently putting that money away is the biggest factor in building that money, You know that, that nice big nest egg over time for your kid. I think when it comes to my kid... Um, in terms of conditions, uh, putting them on, you know, in terms of what skin will they have in the game for college? My ask is that they, they, they keep the grades up and they work while they're at college, right? They can have their fun, but they got to work too. 
And and if they could get through the four years and get a job after that, um, that's great. If they decide that they want to go to law school or or graduate or an MBA, I don't know if I'm going to be, you know, that's going to be time will tell if we could support that. Um, I have some friends of mine that they're all in on their kids' uh, education, all in. They pay for the undergrad, they're paying for the graduate degrees, doctor, doctorate degrees, they're paying for everything. Um, and I have others that, you know, they'll pay for the undergrad and some can't pay for any of it, right? Which is totally understandable. Parents should not feel bad if they have not had a chance to save in the 529 plan because they're, they need to eat or they need to maintain the mortgage or whatever that is, as long as it's not something I'll say frivolous, if it's non-frivolous, they shouldn't feel guilty, right? College is not, um, it's not a mandatory thing. Um, and, and that's the one thing that kind of drives me crazy, which you said at the top of the podcast was the stigma of if you didn't go to a four-year school, you're going to be shunned. And, and that's ridiculous because and, – and the other thing is if you can't afford to go, you have to figure out the mechanisms to that will enable you to either go in the future, go now, but you have to do it methodically and smartly. You can't do it with just I'll sign away my – Four years, I'm going to go full boat, and I'm just going to, and at the end, I'll worry about it. And some people will tell you that's the way to do it. <laughs> that's what they do. I don't know. I see too many people that are stuck. I, I got to talk to different people over time, um, different walks of life. And, you know, if you're a barista working at Starbucks, and I'm not knocking Starbucks or, you know, but if you're a barista and you have 250000 in debt, you need at least you know x amount of dollars to support that debt. You you can't make that at Starbucks. You can't make that in retail. You it's going to be very tough. And and so you really have to go into it with eyes wide open. And we talked about this on the on the podcast. I'm I'm, I'm not plugging our podcast, but we have a few episodes on this where we talk about this. But it really is you know you you have to go in eyes wide open on all these different pieces. But you know the short answer is. For me, it's the 529 plan. Uh, don't worry about oversaving because likely you're never going to oversave. There's those rare examples with the double scholarships, the IVs. Yeah, that'll happen. But you know what? You'll get your money back. You could back it out. You'll get your money out, right? You might need a. If you did it in New York State and you're, you took advantage of the tax implications, you could back it out and, and work with an accountant and pay your taxes on the, you know, but you're not paying. It was all after tax investment. So you're not paying taxes on what you put in. It's on the return. So if you put $100,000 and your kid doesn't use it, and now the account's worth $130,000, you're paying taxes and unwinding that $30,000, not the $100,000. So people get hung up on, well, I got to pay all these taxes. Yeah, you're going to pay a level of taxes, but thank God your kid got to go to an Ivy school for free, right? Or got to go to college for free. Like whatever that is, be thankful and grateful and then worry about that after. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about oversaving <laughs> unless unless it's hurting your family day to day. Before I make this next comment, enter the disclaimer that you need to check with a tax professional to make sure I'm correct on this. But in the instance of the student getting a scholarship, I am pretty sure that you then have the ability to take out the amount of that scholarship from the 529 penalty free. So even in that scenario, you don't incur any penalty. You don't lose any money. And I think there are other flexibilities, Paul, like you mentioned, that 
you don't have to feel so locked in, which of course would be terrible that you've saved all this money and something happens that you weren't anticipating and the 529 locked you in in some way. But that does not tend to be the case. So don't feel like you're trapping your money, so to speak, for only one scenario. There is some flexibility that you can have there. And it sounds like you and I are about on the same page. As of this recording, we plan to be able to pay for my kid's undergrad degree. I know there are some folks that say they would pay for their child's graduate school as well. We don't currently fall into that camp where really focused on that four-year degree. I do also think there is something to be said, though, of making sure that your kids still understand the cost of college, even if you're the one footing the bill. I've long said that for the kids that I knew that had to drop out of school, it had nothing to do with how smart they were. I was certainly not any smarter than they were. It just seemed like they didn't have an appreciation for where they were and what they were doing. And of course, I don't know this for sure as far as if they were paying for any of the schooling or not, but I know that I paid for a pretty good chunk of my school and I definitely was going to graduate on time within the budget that I had to have as little student debt as I possibly could. And I've often wondered if that was one of the things for the kids that either had to go to school for more years or didn't graduate at all. Maybe that was their common thread. One other note on my strategy and a savings avenue that I didn't cover on the 529, some states, and Virginia is one of them, also have what's called a prepaid plan. The idea with the prepaid plan is you pay the tuition rate of the state schools right now. And I think it's like an average of all of the state schools in your particular state. And the idea is if you can lock that in now, if tuition continues to go up like it has been, as we've been spending time talking about, well, you're getting a pretty good deal. And historically speaking, it seems like college tuition is going up higher than seems like most other investments that you can do. Now, the caveat is definitely that you have to have your student go to a state school in order for these to have maximum value. So for us, we went ahead and bought eight semesters, which is half of what we would need to put our kids through because we have two kids. So I guess 16 semesters total between the two of them. So we're hedging our bets saying that we think it's very possible that at least one of them would go to a state school. Virginia absolutely has some very good state schools, and I think most states have one or two at least reliable state schools that they can get a good education and a good degree. So again, we feel really good about it. And that's something else. If your state offers it, you can research that as well. Yeah, that's a great call out. And I love the call out. And you're right. I believe you could pull the money out against the scholarship. So you're probably right on that. But once again, I would consult with a good accountant to kind of make sure that that's the case. The other thing we did was sort of like a thermometer chart. Like I did a spreadsheet and there's a couple of resources out there where, you know, if you think that, you know, you're picturing your kids going to X school, right? Um, so for myself, I did, I, 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 you know, I kind of did the worst case scenario where I picked um, uh, an I, you know, a, a private university that focused on IT. And then I focused on for my daughter Fordham, right? And I put the current, I, I went and found the current, cost today. 
And then there's a tool out there on the internet. Um, uh, yeah, this thing called the internet where you, where you plug in the amount today and then project the future, right? So there's all kinds of calculators. Uh, so there, you know, so what I did was I found a calculator, you know, I found like from college, you know, from one of these sites that said, you know, this is what these two colleges are today, this year, 2020, whatever that was. I think I did the calculations 2019. Then I found this other calculator that says, I plug that number in, my kid's this old, this is when the person will graduate, this is what the inflation rate, you know, they give you the standard inflation. I looked at both numbers, I almost fell out of my chair. So that's when I knew my friend was totally right, our financial superhero. From that conversation years ago, he was right, I could never afford to pay full boat on any of those. But to your point, it kind of maybe will come into the middle where I'll have to figure out, like, so maybe they don't go to those schools. Maybe one goes to that school and the other goes to a, a state university. I don't know what that split will be, but, um, you know, we're, we're, you know, we try to save as much as we can and, and try to squirrel away as much as we can. But um, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like, I think we have a, a really good start um, on all these things, but time will tell if it's going to be sufficient. Like we're going to have to see. Just like all things in finance, it pays to know the rules and regulations, be aware of changes that are coming, have the right professionals available so that you're making the right decisions, and be aware that no one thing will be the right path for you or the next guy or the next guy. So make sure that you're doing what's right for you and your family. Well, Paul, I'm going to go ahead and leave it at that. If folks want to get a hold of you or check out the show, where should they check you out? I mean, for us, you could you could find us on any of the major podcast um, platforms. We're just financial dads. Uh, just found, you know, and I figured out recently you could just ask uh, Alexa or Google Home <laughs> and it'll play it. Um, and, and so that's interesting. And then we're also on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com, which will redirect you to our, our Facebook page. Sounds good. And of course, I'll put the links into the show notes so folks can click right over to check out more. Paul, thanks for being on the show and we'll be in touch. Yes, thank you very much and have a great uh, holiday season and we'll look forward to doing this again soon. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or all other major podcasting applications to be notified of our latest episode. You can also join our conversation at suburbanfolk.com or any social media site, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the handle Suburban Folk. Thanks for listening.